This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis.
I've been working all night and I've been working all week And I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet The people I meet on these London streets They say you gotta get hit with a brand new beat It's a moonshine, it's a hard time It's a rhythm in resistance With a storyline of a better time that's coming soon If you face the fact that you gotta fight back With a smile on your face and hope for yourself It's a moonshine, it's a hard time It's a rhythm in resistance So you face the fact that you gotta fight back It's the moonshine, it's the hard time It's the inner city blues Welcome to Straight Ahead, brought to you along with the 606 Club of Chelsea and myself, David Lewis. We just heard Inner City Blues there, a track from Working Week, a British band comprising of Simon Booth on guitar, Larry Stabbins was on the sax, and Juliet Roberts was the vocalist. Our guest is Chris Standring. We'll be hearing the first part of his interview in around about half an hour's time and listening to tracks throughout the show from his brand new album called Real Life. So during lockdown, musician Lawrence Mason decided to mesh together two of his favourite influences, and believe it or not, they were Dave Brubeck and The Stranglers. And the result is this, a EP that's going to be released on September the 11th called Take Vibe, and here's the result of his work, Golden Brown. Thank you. 
track from the soon-to-be-released EP from Take Vibe and a version of Golden Brown, as you've probably never heard it before. I've got some lovely music lined up on the show for you this week. Some plenty of tracks, of course, from Chris Standring, our guest this week, from Claire Teal, Camilla George and Dexter Gordon. But next is one of the first tracks that I ever heard from the legend that was Ray Charles. This is One Mint Julep. <laughs> Ray Charles, One Mint Julep. So we've got a little bit of fun coming up on the show for you this week, actually. We've got some 1970s television theme songs and uh, some great arrangers and composers wrote music for television programmes back in that era. And in fact, listener Lee Berris had got in touch with me and said, ah, there's a track arranged by the wonderful Oliver Nelson that you might want to play on the show. I'm not going to tell you what the television programme is just yet, but see if you recognise it. <laughs>
Blow. Did you get it? It was a theme song to that hugely popular 1970s television series. It was, of course, the theme song to The Six Million Dollar Man, Colonel Steve Austin. We can rebuild him. I used to love looking forward to that on a Friday evening. I seem to think that was on. And it was there performed by Richard Groove Holmes. And we've got another television theme song coming up in hour number two of this week's show. Uh, next, I thought we should listen to a song from our guest this week, um, Chris Standring's brand new album, Real Life. And let's listen to Living the Poetry. No stress. No strain Done with that commotion in my brain All shine No shame Always a solution to this game And I swore I'd never run again Not for no man Never say man I'm living the poetry And you're never gonna steal my moment You're never gonna take this smile I'm living the poetry To love To life I'll drink to that and kiss today goodnight No Trouble comes, it's gonna be alright But I swore I'd never run again Not for no man, never say amen oh. Now I'm living the poetry Feeling all the good vibes A hurricane of butterflies I'm living the poetry Yes, I'm living the poetry And you're never gonna steal my Poetry 
track from our guest on this week's show, Chris Standring. He's got a brand new album out called Real Life. We're talking all about that in the interview that's coming up, well, after this next track, actually. But uh, the track we just listened to there was called Living the Poetry. Next, I've got a San Francisco-based trumpeter lined up, Eric Jacobson. He's got a brand new album out called One Note at a Time, and a track we're going to play from that is Brother Todd.
track from Eric Jacobson's sextet. The album's called One Note at a Time. We just listened to Brother Todd. So I think it's time we meet our guest for this week. Chris Standring's got a wonderful new album out. I say it's doing very, very well over in the States on the Billboard charts. The album's called Real Life. Let's hear another track from it now. Is there a doctor in the house? If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk.
And we are going back to the interview series we've been running all, well, seems like all year long, but certainly since March, we've had some lovely, wonderful guests on. And tonight, I'm really, really happy and proud to say that we have got Chris Standring on with us. Chris, hello. Hey there, how are you? Very well indeed. It's lovely to have you back. I know you've uh, been on solo with a good friend of ours, Mike Pilette, a couple of times, haven't you? That's right. I certainly have. He's a, he's lo- local over here. Well, he's not so local. I mean, he's, he lives over the hill, but he's, you know, he's definitely... So before we, sort of, the woods. before we begin getting into your story, just so people understand, we're actually speaking to you over in LA, aren't we? That's right, Los Angeles, yeah. So British-born lad, but uh, making good over in the States now. And we're going to be talking a lot about your brand new album that came out a little bit earlier in the year yeah. as well, Real Life. So um, you're obviously, as you say, living in the States now, but musically, did your career start back in the UK? Yes. I mean, I lived in I lived in the UK for 30 years before I moved over here. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Played guitar as a kid, mm-hmm. you know. Went to school, studied rock, uh, discovered rock and roll with some <laughs> school kids, and the rest is a mystery—a <laughs> <laughs> mystery or history. So, did you have a? <laughs> did you do the whole formal music education thing? Did you go to unis, conservatoires, or? Yeah, I, I, uh, I did. Um, well, I mean, I, I went to private classical guitar music lessons for years and years as a kid. But uh, eventually, I went to the London College of Music to ah, study. Ah, the LCM in, in Ealing. Yes, That's, well, it wasn't. It wasn't in Ealing when I went went there. It was actually in Regent Street. Right, right, right. I so I went there for three years and studied classical guitar with an amazing teacher mm-hmm. called Robert Brightmore. Mm-hmm. Came out and never played the classical guitar again. Well, that's <laughs> not, entirely, not entirely true, but. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I, I shunned it for, for rock and roll and jazz. Rock and roll. So that was your first kind yeah. of gigs, was it? Rock and roll and, and, and jazz. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think, I think for a lot of people my age, you, you know, you couldn't really avoid it unless you, you re- really had your blinkers on. And, uh, yeah, and it was exciting, you know, playing bands live to sweaty audiences, something that we miss now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll get to talking about that later. It's been yeah. the oddest of years, yeah. isn't it? So um, yeah. what, what uh, made the move to the States happen for you? What were the reasons behind that back in the 90s? Um, well, it's a bit of a story. I'll try and condense it. I, I, I mean, basically, the, the reason I came here is, you know, for fame and fortune, mm-hmm. much like everybody else. But uh, the, the, the way it happened is in 1980, uh, I came over here just to take a year off school, you know, mm-hmm. and I bombed around and hitchhiked across the country and delivered pizzas in New Orleans and, and uh, you know, did, did the dishes in a sandwich shop in, in L.A. over here. And, I, uh, and in the evenings, I would go to these clubs and see these phenomenal young mm-hmm. uh, musicians, people like Robin Ford and Larry Carlton, and you know they were at their prime at that time. Mm. Anyway, so so and I did that for a year. I went back to to music college for three years with this bug in my head. It's like I had done this thing that nobody else had done, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I and I I set a, a level that I needed to attain musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I I then did a, a series of uh, reconnaissance trips over the years to see if I could get back here and live here. And I must have done maybe four or five of them in the space of 10 years. And and then one year I decided uh, to come up here on vacation again and I set up five shows. I thought, well, why don't I do some gigs here? So anyway, I miraculously in the space of about three days, I booked the five top jazz clubs in LA <laughs> and I booked all my favorite players to play with me. 
And then a friend of mine in London said, what on earth are you doing coming back? You know, you've got more gigs in LA right now than, than you do in you. London. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that was a sign. I slept on it. And the following morning, I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to come back. I'm going to sell up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move there. It's going to be tough. I'm not allowed to, to move there. You know, it's, I, I've got to go through all the legal system, mm -hmm. uh, which I did. Uh, and, did you move uh, out there alone? or I, I, I moved out alone. That's a bold I, move, isn't it? The young it's man's a, a bold, bold move. move. It's a yeah. bold move. You know, because I'd done a series of trips, I knew some people, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I felt secure. I felt this was home mm -hmm. in, a, in a strange way. I knew where everything was. Uh, I knew where to live. I, I was going to say, you, you obviously knew where you were going to live. You knew the yeah. area, you knew the clubs, yeah. some of yeah, the bookers yeah, yeah. and so on. I did. Well, I, I booked. I mean, I got to know them. I don't know how I got to know them, mm. but uh, but I, I did. Uh, so, and, and also, a year before, I had recorded an album in Stoke-on-Trent, which, <laughs> which I financed myself. Doesn't get much more British than that now, does it? Stoke-on-Trent. No, Trent. not really. <laughs> and it's a, a pretty fusion-esque fusion record. It's nothing like that I'm recording now. And and so, of course, I went, I flew out to Los Angeles during those 10 years mm -hmm. and uh, tried to get a record deal. I knew I knew what labels were putting out all this music because, you know, I would go into Tower Records and pick up all these records and see who was putting them out. So I had meetings with these people and, uh, you know, people thought it was a good record. Uh, they didn't know what to do with it. They, they didn't sign it. So I, I came back to, to London with my tail between my legs for a little bit. But uh, so again, so I got to know the town a bit more and the way the business worked and, and, and more relationships. So by the time I actually did make the solid move out here, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like I knew the town as mm. well as London, really. You know, so it was almost a home to you already. Almost was. And don't forget, you know, all those years ago when I delivered the sandwiches here, <laughs> I mean, it was like it, it was you know, that feeling was inculcated in me. It was like, you know, I've got, I've got to be back here. I don't know what I'm doing. So when you were comparing the scenes as a young man before you moved out, did the music yeah. scene seem more vibrant over in LA at that time compared to London? Well, I don't think it was necessarily more vibrant, but it was more international. Right. Like, for instance, when I lived, when I lived in London, you know, I, the, the scene was, was uh, clubs like the 606 Club in Chelsea mm -hmm. and Ronnie Scott's, of course, and the Pizza Express. And, and, you know, there were little sort of peripheral clubs like the Bass Clef at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were, all, they were all great clubs, but they were essentially local clubs. Apart from Ronnie Scott's, that was an international place. Mm -hmm. but every, every, everything else was pretty localized. Um, but, in, but in Los Angeles, all the players that I saw in the clubs, even though they, they were very often living here in Los Angeles, they were internationally known. Mm. You know, they they would go to they would they would go to London and play the Royal Festival Hall or you know the or, or wherever I can't even think of where they might play or, or Ronnie Scott's. Mm -hmm. um, and so you never and, found any. So I, I, I wanted I wanted to be a part of a scene that could escape the the local town. You and you know? never found any. But there was nothing, no discrimination against being a Brit over on the scene trying to take the jobs of the Americans or so on. <laughs> no, I mean this is this, this at the time uh, was the whole nature of America. It was like welcome mm. everybody from all shapes and sizes and and countries and ethnicities. You know that that's a melting pot. You know, and was, was the paperwork a little behind? different now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure, very sure it is. You made the move at the right time. And yeah, was, was the paperwork behind it or the logistics? Was it actually quite a daunting prospect to become yes. a US citizen? Yeah, it was. A, I can tell you the exact 
uh, at the time, it, it might be a little bit more difficult now. <clears throat> That's not to say it was easy at the time. But uh, at the time, I had to get something called an H1, which I believe is now called an O1. And it's a visa, which which uh, you have at the time was for three years. And I had to get a ton of letters from my past employers in London, you know, to tell the government that I was this person of extraordinary capability. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you were worthy of you being know, in the state. Yeah. Exactly. That I wasn't taking any job away from a local person here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I did that. And, and luckily, I, I had done a lot of good work in London, like recording sessions and tours. And so I got glowing letters from everybody to say, yeah, yeah, he is that guy. Um, so anyway, I sailed through. I got a three-year uh, work permit. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, after three years, I, I went for what they call a green card. Now, that's what we've all make, heard of, isn't it, of course? Yeah, the green card. Exactly. Is which, it actually which, green? Uh, no, I <laughs> believe it was not green at the time, which was the first thing that I... I I thought when I saw it, I thought, why is this not green? What a disappointment. Um, All that work. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, anyway, so so that green card, I had to go through the whole process again, letters from past employers. But of course, I had some employers over here by yeah, that time. Of course, yeah. Uh, and I had a record deal and a book deal, and it looked very good. Now, I wasn't making any money. Um, in fact, when do musicians do that? <laughs> well, my tax return at the time was so. Uh, worrying to the authorities that e even though initially they approved it when they saw my tax return they thought well what are you living off chocolate buttons i mean <laughs> it doesn't make any sense yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway my manager at the time uh wrote a glowing letter saying you know he's we're about to have this record deal and and he's going to be fine and and it worked and i got a green card anyway so that basically meant i was set for life but it didn't mean that if all things went wrong i couldn't be thrown out of the country Right. Uh, so, the, so the only thing that you can do to to make call this absolute home is to become an American citizen, which you can do after ten years of having a green card. And right. I did it. So you're now, now I've got dual citizen. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's never crossed your mind to to make home back in the UK again. You're more than happy in the states and in LA. I take it. I, I am. I am happy, but uh, you know things are things are very strange here right now. And uh, you know, I keep thinking. You know, if all goes pear-shaped in November at the, the election, I'm, I'm not sure I can do another four years of this administration. <laughs> Which I think I heard um, on the not, news today, they're talking of postponing, aren't they now? Or, well, 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 I say they, one with, person in with, particular. <laughs> without getting into too yes, much of a political not, thing. <laughs> yeah, that was just another tweet from our, from our your, chief. Your leader. Yeah. Yes, we'll leave yeah. it at that, shall we? <laughs> So yeah, let's leave it there. Before we um, begin, well, it, a little earlier on, you said that, you know, you went over there with this house and dream of becoming rich and famous and leading yeah. life. Of course, you have had a huge amount of success with uh, 13 Billboard top 10s and six number ones, I think, as well. So when did success begin to come your way then? Uh, you know, it's very funny. I, I can actually pinpoint the exact time that things started happening. Uh, <clears throat> I remember talking to a, <clears throat> a percussionist his name is Brad Dutz. He played on a lot of fusion records. When I came, he over sounds here, like he was born into that name. Lead. That's a percussionist yeah, name, isn't it? I know. Isn't it funny? Anyway, so I said to him, "How how long is it going to take for me to 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 get successful over here?" He said, "Well, you, you'll probably start working in ten years." <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And I go, "Oh my god, really? what have I done? Yeah, what have I done?" Because uh, I feel like you know that's how long it took in in London before things were happening, and then of course I moved over here. Anyway, so. Damn it, he was right. It took 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. And, and, I, and at that 10-year point, uh, I had got asked, 
I was playing it with a guitar player called Mark Anton, mm-hmm. who you probably know. Yes, heard the name for sure. Yeah. And uh, I was just strumming behind him. I was a kid, you know, I was just strumming behind him. And uh, we were good friends and we would hang out, have pizza at the weekend. I didn't even know he played guitar. It was, you know what I mean? It was one of those friendships, you know. He lived up the street. Anyway, so I started playing with him. He happened overnight almost, you know, with radio. And and we started touring. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Mark then got offered to do this annual tour at the time called Guitars and Saxes. And it was always four artists with one band backing them all. And uh, at the time, the the artists were Peter White, Rick Braun, Kirk Whalem, and and Mark Anton. That's some lineup. And, yeah, and they and this was nineteen ninety. I think it was ninety seven or nineteen ninety eight. I can never remember. Anyway, so so Mark then really championed for me to be in the backing band because he mm-hmm. liked the way I strummed for him behind his thing. So you know. I was up for a tour, you know, it was a six week bus tour. We'd yeah. get to see everyone. Anyway, so the guitar player that was supposed to, it was going to be Kirk Whalem's band. And um, I can't remember the, her name now, but she went on to Linda Taylor. Uh, she, she went on to work with Tracy Chapman, so she couldn't do the gig. So anyway, I got the gig. So, you know, I have to thank Tracy Chapman really in a way for my success. <laughs> I'll be sure <laughs> so, to pass it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Linda couldn't do it. She, so I got the gig mm-hmm. and uh, I immediately met all those four A-list uh, musicians at the time. And then immediately after that, Rick Braun asked me to join his band, which I was in for a year and a half. I then played with Richard Elliott for a year. So the doors um, then began to open. And and I got Kirk and and... Rick to play on my first record that I was touting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is that the Velvet Rick album? That's the Velvet album, yeah. which came on Instinct Records, Instinct Records in New York. And, you know, I said to them, look, I've got these guys. Do you want to do this record? And, and they took a year to say yes, but they said yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Velvet comes out. Uh, I get fired from all these bands, which, which meant that I either, I either had to find another gig or I was a solo artist, and I decided on the latter. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Good move. Uh, and and that was it, you know. It, it was, I mean, it was tough for for a number of years, but I knew what I was supposed to do. I, in my mind, it actually took quite a while to really commit to being an artist because I'd always been a side man, and I was never totally convinced that. I was just going to ask: Had it always been in your mind yeah. that you wanted to run your own band and be the well, solo well, act? I, I didn't know. I mean, I I didn't come to America thinking that that's what I'd be doing. I I just came to America wanting to be a part of the music scene, you know, and mm-hmm. play with all these great players. I knew I wanted to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a studio guy or a touring guy or something, uh, which I did some of, you know, but I, my attitude was not that great always. I, I was always too a little opinionated about how <laughs> things should be. Getting us which you a can't bad be. name. No, of course not. There's got to be a, no, be a team player. And I guess while you yeah. cut your teeth also, it's not done to necessarily speak your mind, is it? No, I, I mean, I, I think I, uh, I I did some good things as a side man, and and uh, it, it, you know everybody's on their own path, and it wasn't necessarily for mine. Mm. I thought it was, I really did, you know, but uh, it was not to be, you know. It well, was, it, it looks like things worked out pretty well for you, so.
talking to Chris so easy to interview he's done it before me thinks and we've got the second part of that interview coming up in hour number two of the show this week and the track we just finished off with there was whatever she wants next I've got a band that I've not played on uh, straight ahead before the Yazam Hansler band they're an acoustic international jazz quartet and they've done a great version of a track I'm sure you're going to know Soul Shadows Seeming, oh, he played feelings that won't go away. Left the sound of his soul in the air. I can hear it out there, and I know he left those soul shadows on my mind, on my mind, on my mind. He left those soul. Shadows of my mind 
my mind on my mind Standing by the window as the fog grows in I swear I can hear a fire of music Jelly roll is playing down in Storyville Such moist wailing someplace in Chicago Coltrane reaching for the notes his mind can hear They remain a part of all that I know Oh, they play feelings that won't go away the sound of their songs in the air I can hear it out there and I know they left those soul shadows on my mind on my mind on my mind they left those soul shadows on my mind on my mind on my mind Oh, 
a great version of Soul Shadows there from the Yazam Hansler band. That track was actually taken from their 2017 album called Strange Fish. But the band have got a brand new album out. It's on pre-order at the moment, due out on the 28th of August, so just a few short weeks away. And the album's called Rush Hour, and I think over the coming weeks we'll play some tracks from that album. But uh, I said we've got a bit of a theme on the show this week, and when I say theme, that's a bit of a pun, actually. We've got some television theme songs. We played the theme from The Six Million Dollar Man at uh, very near the start of the show. Next up, another great 1970s cop theme song. This is The Streets of San Francisco by Henry Mancini. Listen online, on DAB, and on smart speakers. Straight ahead, with London's leading music venue. The 606 Club. second of our theme songs on this week's show and I don't know why I suddenly decided to play them I just fancy them really Henry Mancini wrote some great theme songs of course famously also the theme for the Pink Panther don't worry I haven't got that in the show this week but maybe over the coming weeks who knows but we just listened to the streets of San Francisco many 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 great memories now I remember that being on at home when I was a youngster let's go back to our interview with Chris now shall we and uh, a track we're going to start it up with is Shake You Up Thank you. 
We'll get around to talking about the brand new album in just a minute. But um, during the course of this year, I've had artists on talking about lockdown and how it's affected them. And of course, your industry got completely railroaded. There was suddenly no work other than home studio sessions and so on. Yeah, we've yeah. heard what it's like being like in the UK. What was it like for you over in LA? How did it? Ha- uh, I mean, how did it approach? Did you have gigs in a diary? Were you due to be recording? And how has it been not being able to get out and play? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I had a, I had a a summer's worth of work and a few gigs at the end of the year too, which all got cancelled. And as soon as a couple got, couple got cancelled, I thought, no, this, this is not going to happen. Mm. The whole year's shot. Um, I mean, I've got shows booked for next year, you know, in London. I don't, don't even know if they're going to happen. Mm. But um, <clears throat> I, I, I embraced it really quick. I thought, you know what? This is it. You've got to deal with this. Uh, and immediately I gave myself two projects. Um, which were? Well, I decided to go back to school, theoretically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and study orchestration to a pretty high level. So I've been doing this orchestral jazz record. Whether it's going to come out or not, I don't know. It's, it's such a big project and so expensive. But I'm do- I've am i been doing it. You know, I've been writing for it. And What uh, sort of size orchestra may that be then? Well, don't, I'm not sure yet. Uh, I, I mean, it could be as high as 32-piece string section. It, uh, or, you know, so will it be an amalgamation of strings and a big band? Is it that the kind of sound no, you're going no, for? No, no, it's, no, it's pure just orchestra. strings. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, no, it'd be great. Trio, trio, and orchestra. So everything's really spacious mm. and beautiful strings on the top. Loads of air, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I've got like eight tracks written, mm. and uh, and so I, I really wanted to write for the strings because I approached these great orchestrators like Philippe, Philippe Sace and. Uh, you know, I've got a few other friends and, and, you know, I mean, they were really into doing it, but I couldn't afford them. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm an independent label. I'm not signed to a major, even, even majors sort of balk at do, doing a record as expensive as this. Mm. So, you know, uh, it might be on the back burner. I might continue writing for it and sort of finish up the the writing stage and then, and then produce it when I can. Anyway, so. So that's what I started doing, getting into that. Yeah. And then, and now I've kind of put that on the back burner because it's, it's a lot of strings. <laughs> you know, ooh, I tell you. Certainly got in the deep end, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, so then, uh, you know, I saw a lot, a few friends of mine suddenly this live streaming. Yeah. And I thought, well, that there's a project right there. Boy, and was it a project? 
you know, so I started uh, doing something on Facebook and seeing how bad it looked literally when you just pressed the, the button and uh, got myself a nice camera and this audio, which, you know, you, you're witnessing for the first time here. Yes, now I'm looking at your studio, yeah. like a little boy in a candy shop. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, so what I what I decided to do with it is another thing. I mean, uh, you know, I'm trying to put a show together, and uh, I might have guests, I might not. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got guests, and I, I don't know if I want to go that just, way. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you run out of guests. Yep. And then and then what do you do? You know, do you have the same guests on, or or you or you start asking people to come on your show and then they don't either they don't come on your show or they don't respond to you and then you start feeling weird <laughs> <laughs> i've done i've been down that road too so i don't know i'm i'm not sure what i'll do it might just be me uh just you know playing and and chatting and do, and and uh I don't know, anything creative I can think it's, of. It's great that your mentality, though, was to immediately embrace and think, right, this is what it's going to be. I can yeah. cry about it or yeah. just accept it and get on with it yeah. and do something creative with your time, which is clearly what you've done. And you managed to stay fit and healthy through it all, I take it, did you? I, you know, I have so far. You know, the, the other thing about this lockdown is it's it's not that big of a deal to any musician uh, because we're looking for excuses to, to practice and, <laughs> yeah. and write. Yeah. You know, so... At the end of the day, any anybody who really wants to have a relationship with a, an instrument at a high level, they're not having any kind of problem with this lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we get a little stir crazy, just like everybody else, but but it's 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 actually fine for the most part, you know. And so that brings us to the album, Real Life, which yeah. uh, we yeah. know came out around about lockdown time, somewhere around March, April time. Did that affect the sales of the album? Well, presumably, you were going to be touring it and uh, going to clubs with it. You know, it, strangely enough, it has not affected the sales. Sales have been actually considering we're in this world that we're in right now of streaming. Streaming, yeah. Uh, this album's doing great. It's con- it's constantly on the SoundScan top twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was fourteen last week. Um, my singles have slammed hard at radio. Mm-hmm. I think I'm number thirteen on Billboard this week with "Shake You Up." I went to number one with Doctor in the House, four weeks running. That's a track we're going to mention in a moment, actually. And uh, yeah. with a, uh, if a vocalist brings an album out, it's kind of you can hear the titles in the songs. It's kind of obvious. Mm. With a, an album such as you know a, a guitar-led album, how do you come yeah. up? What's in a musician's mind? How do you decide? Is there a Doctor in the House? Where do these elements come from yeah. to create titles I, you for know, an instrumental? I get asked this question all the time. It's so hard, and it, and it makes a big yeah. difference when you're looking at album titles. Somehow, yeah. it does make a difference. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say I'm very proud of my titles because they're usually very different from most people because most people don't make the effort. And I feel like we need to make the effort because Absolutely. because because we're instrumentalists. You know, a vocalist can write a song and as soon as you write the hook, that's the title mm-hmm. of your song. You don't have to think. Mm-hmm. We don't have that luxury. So, you know what I do? I In my phone, I have a notepad file. Mm-hmm. Throughout the year, wherever I am, you know, it's usually when I'm out of my studio, you know, in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I come across a, some something that comes to me in my head or I read something in a book and I go, oh, that would be a good title for a song. I write it down in my notepad. So you've got a and reference to it, yeah. By the end of the year, when I'm trying to type my songs, I've usually got a string of pretty funny titles. Uh, sometimes I do it as I'm writing the song. It just, you know what it is. It speaks to you. But it's kind of rare these days, especially after writing as many songs as I have. 
but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good way to do it. It lessens the burden at the end of the year, you know. And then when you've got all these titles written down in the notepad, does it immediately resonate with you as the songs are being laid down on the album? Oh, that's the title that fits that number. Yeah, yes, yeah. For instance, you know, if it's if it's a ballad, you can't call it something joyful and up tempo. You know, you, you, it has to the, the emotion has to fit the. Mm. The, the the piece of music you're writing. So sometimes, you know, I write a piece of music and nothing in no titles that I've come up with over the year is is right. And I have to keep I either wait or I I pull out start pulling out books. And, and a, a moment ago, you actually mentioned one of the tracks I was going to bring up. Is there a doctor in the house? Which I think is the yeah. first track on the album, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's this part at the beginning, and I think you'll know the rep. It kind of almost sounds take six ish. There's a close harmony sound yes. at the start. How did that? Because <clears throat> yeah. that's, that's an unusual sound to achieve. Yeah. Well, it, well, it is, unless you've got eight uh, amazing singers doing that, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I clearly didn't have, you know. Um, I when did, did, think when about, did you write this album last year? Uh, well, uh, yes. Yeah. It would have been last year, beginning yeah. of last year. It usually takes me about nine months to do a record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'll tell you how that, that came about. I was uh, I was literally, because I'm doing all this orchestral stuff, I, I wanted to do a, a traditional music exercise, and I was literally writing an eight-part counterpoint harmony thing. And I wrote it out, you know, I was sat outside and, and uh, just wrote the whole thing out. And... Uh, I, of course, I wanted to know what it sounded like, so I, so I played it on the guitar, put it, and and it sounded nice. And then I thought, well, what can I do with this to make it sound a bit different? So I ha- I've got these synth samples, these vocal synth samples, and I just flew the all all the lines to, to represent each a, a, a separate voice and put mm-hmm. them together, and that's what came out. Wow. The, all the beautiful harmonies. And I thought, oh, that that's really interesting. And immediately it spurred a song right at the end of that phrase. It just wanted to go into this funky riff yeah. that that uh, ended up sounding a little bit like Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no, immediately, Until I start, immediately yeah, caught my I ears. I mean, immediately caught my ears because it was just such an unusual yeah. sound. And it's, a, oh, I think that's it. Yeah. And on the yeah, whole, it, this album really is a very kind of joyful, which actually, given the timing of its release, has been a kind of perfect tonic for us, yeah. isn't it? There's a lovely yeah, video yeah, yeah. that's been out with it as well, with the flowers being handed, and the, the look on yeah. people's face, I mean, just given these simple flowers. Yeah, it's lovely. It's actual that's pleasure. Whole, yeah, that's the whole thing. You know, to tell you the truth, um, I, we didn't know anything about this pandemic. Mm. You know, we had no idea about it. And, and I titled that song, Is There a Doctor in the House, simply because it was a, it was a silly title and... I, I thought people like you would talk it up on your radio shows. <laughs> we need a title. We need a title. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, uh, I've lost my train of thought now. But uh, Yeah, it's just how yeah. beautiful that video was, I say, and it was the perfect tonic given what right. happened, you know, with the pandemic. Suddenly we got this beautiful video with like, just people's faces yeah. being radiantly happy with being given these flowers. Well, it's and- a, it's a, it is inherently a very joyful song, and so – when we were talking about the video, mm. my director, David Beeler said, you know, let, how about an idea like this? We went through a few ideas and I said, no, no, <laughs> no, we've done that. And then he came up, came up with this and I thought, if you want to run with that, be my guest. That sounds fun. And, and, and uh, it, it felt right for the song. And uh, I don't even know if the pandemic had, had kicked in yet, but but when it did, there was something about that that whole idea of joy and and uh, just good feelings that that everybody resonated with because 
everybody was stuck at home and they, you know, they just said, oh, this is wonderful. This is yeah. sweet. No, it's exactly what we needed. Yeah. And there's a, yeah. there's a cover on there as well of a, well, what I always thought was a Quincy number, but it's actually a Herbie yes, number, isn't it? Yes, everybody did. Bedtime yeah. stories. It's like that lovely album yeah. of Quincy's sounds and yes. stuff. But um, you've gone back and listened to Herbie's original, I believe, haven't you? That's exactly right, yeah. Although I wasn't terribly familiar with Herbie's version. I mean, I think I probably had heard it a long time ago. You know, it was Quincy's version that we all knew mm, mm. Uh, in our age range. Mm. Um, and I loved Quincy's version. I thought it was fantastic. So I stole from both of their arrangements. Mm-hmm. I, I actually stole from Quincy's outro. And uh, I don't know how much of Herbie's well, I, I stole the song, I suppose. I mean, I, I <laughs> if we're being brutally yeah. honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just, I just love that song. I, I love the way it came out too, because mm. it's—I feel like it, I put my spin on it. The other two had not done, you know. That must be something really special as a musician. When you know, I know how certain numbers are really, really special to me, but I can't do anything to enhance them. You can hear something yeah. and put Chrissy's own spin on that yeah. number. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't think I would record a cover unless I could put my spin on it. Mm. You know, if, if there's nothing for me to add, um, I don't, I don't think I, I deserve to do it. Mm. I, I don't think there's any point simply because I like the song. You yeah. know, I think it, more than that. Yeah, because obviously it's so good originally. If you can't bring something new to it and make it contemporary and with your own name and mark on it, what's the point of trying to reinvent the wheel, I guess? Yeah, you know, I say that. Yesterday, you've heard recently that Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac mm, died. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yesterday, just for the fun of it, I recorded Albatross. <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard it in years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's and I, I remember playing it for my girlfriend, and she thought, "Boy, that's beautiful." And I thought, mm. "Yeah, it really is." So I, I just I've been completely compelled to record it. So I recorded it yesterday, and I literally recorded it just exactly the way that he recorded it. Mm. Although, of course, it's me playing it and he's not playing it. Mm. But, you know, mine is much more clean and, uh, you know, somewhat modern sounding, of course. But uh, but it still sounds beautiful. It's, you know, it, it, I've, you know, it's the one time that I think, have I really put a spin on this? Not really. I've, I've you know, I've played it just like he did. But it sounds really good. Is it hard so, to be objective about your yeah. own sound, your own music? Uh, n- not really. No, it is not really. I, I actually, I think it's because I'm perfectly happy to throw something out mm-hmm. if, for whatever reason, it doesn't fit on the record, or it's making me uncomfortable a little bit. Even though I think it might be good, mm-hmm. you know, and people will like it. Sometimes that's not enough. It, it has to be really good, and it has to fit in with the record. And you know, I, 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 I've got to feel like I really did something there. And but, um, for the most part, you know. Yeah, and uh, just talking on sort of the slightly more technical or nerdy side of musicians, are you yeah. always stuck to one particular kind of arch top? Is there one guitar that's your go-to, or is it, you've got a gigging guitar, you've got a studio guitar? How much do you vary your actual setup? I don't vary. I, I basically I uh, I play a Benedetto guitar, and they've just recently made me a new one, which is fabulous. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I've been playing that guitar for for so long. Because uh, it, you know, I mean, I, I basically essentially play with a, a clean guitar sound. Uh, I mean, I, I used to sort of play more fusion style with a distorted overdrive tone, but I never liked the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I always liked the tone I got when I played clean. Mm-hmm. So 
it, it just became my tone and your sound. So, yeah. yeah. So there's, so I've pretty much got a very simple direct setup. Uh, and prov- provided I keep practicing, I can get that t- tone all the time. <laughs> and the, the, the strings and so on, do you stick to one particular make or strength of string? I'm not a guitar man. Yeah. But I just wonder how much that would affect your sound or setup. Uh, I'm not sure how much it would affect my tone, but it would affect me wanting to pick up the guitar or not. Right, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you've got a great website as well that uh, I should encourage people to go and look at, which is simple and direct, chrisstandring.com. Uh, All the albums it? on And obviously I'm always encourage people to try and buy albums direct from the artist because for obvious reason, you get the money. And they're not cheap to make these albums, are they? So... They're not cheap, no. And uh, obviously, with the, <laughs> he said, with, with, with truth, I, I felt the pain for you. And we did take it away, we, you know, no gigs, and you can't sell the merch or yeah. the albums at the gigs. So pop over to Chris's uh, website, chrisstandring.com, and you can get all of the albums. I think it's 13 or 14 you've released now. Uh, I don't know, is it? It's around uh, there. I'm sure maybe, it's around there. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's getting up there. I know that. Yeah. And so plans for the next few months then through to the end of the year? Um. Well, I mean, I'm I'm actually about to, strange enough, in a couple of weeks, hop on a plane to go to London and quarantine for two weeks. Yes. So I'm going to bring my guitar and, and figure out what, what to do while is I'm it, imprisoned in a, in a flat. <laughs> is it a working two weeks. trip or? No, it's a family thing. Family my, thing. My, yeah. My mother's not doing well at all. Um, so I've got to go and see her and see the family. And, and, and also, you know, while... I have no solid commitments. It's a, actually a good time for me to go and do this. But but as far as uh, the future is concerned, yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming at some point the touring thing will come back. But mm. it might not. It might not. And if it and if it doesn't, then then I have to continue to embrace. Uh, me, you know, I'll probably keep making videos and live streaming. And I, you know, I might at some point step over to a a different platform and charge a very small ticket fee or something you know if i if i can pluck up the courage to do something like that we'll no, see no um, i think uh, creators such yourself i think have witnessed there's a change coming here and, and obviously yeah. we assume that live music will come back as strong as it always has been but the fact we've now been exposed to these live streams and clubs and our yeah. appetites are expectations and horizons are being widened now and there are other ways that we can accept music and you guys have done an amazing job during this lockdown of keeping great new material coming out to us as well because obviously the demand yeah. we're all stuck at home for new music new experiences something new to watch like you said with your streams those yeah. kind of mediums have been really really important to us and it's not surprising apart from the yeah. quality of the album that it's selling so well again people at home they want to listen to music well, and also they got they got nothing to do for the most part, so it's you know it, it's actually pretty good time for for people to flog a record. Precisely that. <laughs> well, you never know. I, mean, the, the, I don't know what it's like in LA if the clubs don't, but in London the clubs are certainly opening up. The six is opening up, I think, on uh, the. Is 6th. that right? Yeah, it's opening up on the sixth yeah. of August. It's the first weekend. Yeah. Uh, Jim Mullen is the first act back on. That's right. I heard. You know, I I, I do worry about these clubs because even though that they might start opening up. I mean, they're obviously not opening up to full capacity. No, exactly. And so, so uh, I mean, I just hope they can weather the storm because, you know, obviously a venue, uh, you know, they're trying to cram as many people as they mm. can into a club so they can make a profit. Of course. And, you know, for the most part, restaurants and, and venues are living hand to mouth. Yeah. So and obviously I hope they make it through. Yeah, I really do. And, and you know, Ronnie's yeah. opening up too. So I was just going to say, when you're over in London, don't be surprised if maybe get a knock on the door because <laughs> there's there's a lot of venues opening up looking for great acts. So you might be over at just the right time. 
<laughs> well, I'll, I'll bring my guitar just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good idea to do that. So, Chris, it's been lovely, lovely catching yeah, up. You many thanks indeed. And uh, it was a, 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 somebody I've wanted to talk to you for a very long time. And having spoken to Mike, yeah. I knew you'd be a great guest. So, great. Chris, don't forget to visit his website, chrisstandring.com. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll get to meet when you're over in London. That's right. And we'll, do, we'll certainly do this again anyway. I'd love to. Chris, many thanks indeed yep. for your time. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. See you. Bye bye. bye.
up for the interview there with a track that we talked about uh, during the conversation tell me a bedtime story and you'll find all of those tracks on chris's brand new album which is available right now on all the normal platforms it's called real life and it's uh, if you're a chris standring fan it will not disappoint it's a wonderful listen all the way through so claire teal has got a brand new album out it's been uh, well talked of and revered it's got some wonderful names involved on the project actually such as uh, guy barker Grant Windsor and Jason Rebello, and it goes through the songbook of such names as Cole Porter, Ella Fitzgerald and Nina Simone and the track we've got lined up to play next on Straight Ahead this week is It Might As Well Be Spring. Straight Ahead with David Lewis. Restless as a willow in a windstorm. I was jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever, but I know it isn't spring. I am starry eyed and vaguely discontented, like a nightingale without a song to sing. Oh, why should I have spring fever when it is? a spider spinning daydreams I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud or a robin on the wing but I feel so gay in a melancholy way that it might as well be spring it might
Silvery Spring, a track from the brand new Claire Teal album. The album's called 12 O'Clock Tales, and if you go over to Claire's website, which is clairetiel.co.uk, there's a behind-the-scenes making of about the album there, really good view, actually, and if you're a fan of Claire, I've got some interesting and exciting news to tell you over the next few weeks. We are getting back to normal down at the club, I'm glad to say, slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah, we had to delay for a couple of weeks because of government guidelines, but next Thursday, which is the 20th of August, we've got Jim Mullins' organ trio down with us, and on the day after, Friday the 21st of August, Dave Lewis, a sax man, of course, so it's going to be a great jazz groove quartet session and all the details are over on the website 606club.co.uk but tickets are selling quickly so I'd go and get your reservations made quickly if I was you a couple of weeks ago we had sax player Camilla George on the uh, show with us I'm going back to her one of her recent albums the People Could Fly album and the track we've got lined up to play for you next is how Nehemia got free Thank you. 
Killer George, How Nehemia Got Free. Next, I've got some classic Dexter Gordon for you from a 1960s released album with Kenny Drew on the piano, Slide Hampton on the trombone and Dizzy Reese on the trumpet. The album was called A Day in Copenhagen. I've looked out what's new to play for you and straight out of that, we're going to Buddy Rich and uh, Buddy's Bits for the week. I don't think we've ever had Buddy's Bit quite so late on in the set, but it's a lovely version of Round of Midnight, which features saxman Steve Marcus. Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you.
Just looking back at those last couple of tracks we played, we first of all was Dexter Gordon from 1960 and What's New, and the track just finishing behind me now was Around Midnight from Buddy Rich, a track that you'll find on the 2016 release called The Lost Tapes, with a feature from the great sax man Steve Marcus. Many thanks indeed to Chris for being on the show with us this week. Don't forget to check out his brand new album, Real Life. You've heard tracks from it throughout the show this week. And again, go and visit his website, chrisstandring.com. Our guest on the show next week is saxman Mornington Lockett. Many thanks indeed for your company. I hope you enjoyed the music this week, and I'll be back for another couple of hours of great music at the same time next week. Our final track on the show, though, is from pianist Gordon Beck. He released an album in tribute to one of his heroes, Bill Evans. The album was called Seven Steps to Evans, and the track we're playing out with is Turnout Stars.